Hello, word nerds. Welcome to another very special episode of The Dictionary. Uh, we have another guest. So this guest, Lori Wyke is her name. First of all, you should probably say hi. How you doing? Hello. <laughs> um, this guest has been a long time coming because many, many months ago, I don't even remember when. I actually have my list here. I could probably look it up. We had here on this very podcast, Vince and Mark, Vince Clemente and Mark Saltvite. Their episodes aired way back in April and uh, February and April of 2021. And of course, the reason I had them on was because of the documentary, The Palindromists, or as some people like to say, The Palindromists. <laughs> it's up to debate. <laughs> um, and I had to get another one of the, uh, the the subjects of that documentary on this podcast. So we have Lori Wyke. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. That's the second time I've asked you that question. <laughs> so, of course, we have to talk a little bit about palindromes. How, how did this all happen? How did you get into this world? Uh, well, uh, Mark Saltvite uh, has a magazine called The Palindromist Magazine, and I happened to come across it, oh, I don't know, maybe eight eight years ago or so. And uh, I, I thought it was fascinating because it was the palindrom- Palindromist magazine for people who read and write palindromes. And I was so struck by the idea that there were people who are writing palindromes as opposed to just appreciating them. Um, so uh, there was a forum in there. And so I thought about it and I, I, I typed up a palindrome and sent it in. Mark was very, very encouraging and uh, it just kind of uh, spiraled um, uh, from there. And I, I became um, completely addicted to, to writing palindromes uh, over the last uh, seven or eight years. And uh, yeah, it, it, it culminated in, uh, in participating in the, the, the World Palindrome Championship a few years ago and uh, getting to know Mark and Vince and um, a bunch of other really wonderful palindromists. I say palindromists, but, but there is a lot of debate over this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's only been a handful of years for you. Uh, I find it interesting that you were, you were not already writing palindromes when you found out about the magazine. Do you know how it came into your life if you weren't seeking it out? I, I don't recall. I, I'm not sure. I think it was, you know, kind of one of those uh, late night Google searches where one thing leads to another, to another, mm-hmm. to another. And and when I happened uh, upon it, I, I was just, um, it, it kind of blew me away. And I found it really fascinating. And I thought, well, maybe I can write palindromes. And, uh, and then I found it a, a, a really fun kind of puzzle uh, to, to mm. kind of wrap my mind around to to devise these these fun little word gems, so to speak, and uh, and it became just completely addictive. Yeah, I mean, it is really another way to use the brain that obviously the the majority of people just aren't used to doing. Um, and I find it fascinating. And of course, everybody has to go check out this documentary if you want to learn more about Lori and Mark and the world of writing palindromes. And uh, you, you guys just seem like you had such a good time. Uh, I I watched the film when it was at the, um, the, the film festival, the streaming film oh. festival. And then I got the Blu-ray, which I haven't watched yet, but I do really want to rewatch it because I need to be reminded of, of everything that happened. So I hope everybody goes and watch it. And, and one of the things that you learn in the movie about Lori is that she is also a bassoon player, which is the reason that we are 
talking about the section of words that we're going to be talking about today, um, what I loved, and of course, knowing music, you know that this is a thing, there are musical palindromes, which you, you briefly mentioned in the film. Um, it, do you have a little bit more that you can talk about that? Um, yes, yes. So it's it's kind of interesting, yeah, because there is this analog uh, between uh, pal- uh, palindromes in letters and words and palindromes in in music in in various kind of structural forms, whether they're rhythmic palindromes or note uh, pitch palindromes. Um, a, a very famous one occurs in uh, Berg's opera Lulu, kind of at the very middle of the opera, where you can see in the score, you you can really see the the kind of just visual beauty of it mm. um, as. Uh, it, it goes up and back down, and it's it's quite fascinating. Um, Hindemith wrote a uh, a very short uh, one scene opera uh, there and back again. I believe is the English translation, and it's more or less palindromic in nature, including in its uh, storyline. Because in the middle of the opera, there's a wizard who you know makes a proclamation, and then all the events that had just occurred then occur in reverse. Oh, so cool. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting how the, the, the palindrome works on various structures, but, um, there are lots of palindromic structures and, uh, uh, you know, the music of Bach. Um, he, he would write these, uh, crab cannons, um, uh, again, which would work in, in a palindromic fashion. And, and some of them would involve, uh, you know, a kind of puzzle for the performer to figure out exactly how to make it work. Um, so yeah, there there are many many musical examples. There's a there's a Haydn symphony with a it's usually referred to as the the, the palindrome symphony uh, because mm. uh, he has a section of the third movement uh, which is very much an, an exact palindrome in in the in the the pitches and the the rhythms. That is fascinating. Uh, you know, it's one thing to just write a bunch of notes and then write them backwards, but to actually create it in a musical way, like you said, with the rhythms as well, and have it have the the melody be interesting, not just random notes. Uh, it, it must have taken so much work for them to do this. Yeah, no, it's it's quite a challenge. I mean, if you play a very familiar tune backwards, just play "Happy Birthday" backwards, mm. it's it's really quite unrecognizable. <laughs> so yeah, to to make it actually work um, is, I think quite a challenge. Uh, and my friend, uh, Anthony Etheran, um, he's also featured in the, the Palindromist documentary. He actually put out, uh, um, on uh, cassette, uh, and also on YouTube, uh, a series of, of palindromic, uh, musical compositions this past, past year that are quite oh, that, fascinating that I that, recommend checking out. Yeah, that's very cool. I'll have to get the link from you and I'll put it in the show notes. That yeah, sounds awesome. I will. Sweet. Well, uh, let's get to the words. Um, I so are, are like bassoon playing, music in general, and palindromes. Are those like the two main things in your life, or do you have do you have other stuff as well? Uh, those are those are the the two two main things. So I mean, uh, I, I I play the bassoon a, a bit more than I than I write palindromes. <laughs> <Yeah>. as, <laughs> but, Writing palindrome um, hasn't taken over your life just yet. No, no, there there's really no money to be made in palindromes, right. unfortunately. <laughs> That's what we call a hobby. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Well, well, we've got a, a fair amount of words to get through here. Um, you know, I think it'll be a fun little section, and I'm just gonna get into it. All, all right. right. Oh, and I've been doing a I've been doing a sound effect thing 
somebody recommended maybe adding a sound effect in between each word so it's a little bit more distinct of where the word ah. each one ends and, and starts. I haven't even thought up of one yet, so we'll just see what happens when I get to the end of the first word. It's been interesting, let me tell you. Okay, uh, the first word in this episode is the second form of contour, C-O-N-T-O-U-R. Of course, the first form was in yesterday's episode. This one is an adjective from 1844. One, following contour lines or forming furrows or ridges along them, as in contour flooding and contour farming. Those are two examples. And number two, made to fit the contour of something, as in a contour couch, also as in contour sheets. I'm trying to think of what contour sheets would be. I guess they're, I guess, fitted sheets. Would that be fitted sheets? I can't even think of what what else that would be. I I have no idea, but I'm going to refer to my fitted sheet now as a contour sheet. (laughs) Yes, they are the hardest thing to fold. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this adjective form of contour. (laughs) Um, All right, sound effect time. Weep, weep. I don't know. I, I try and do something different, and it's very hard on the brain. (laughs) All right, third form of contour. This is the last form. It is a transitive verb from 1871, 1A, to shape the contour of. 1B, to shape so as to fit contours. So so many different kinds of contours. And Mm -hmm. two, to construct as a road in conformity to a contour. So, I mean, yeah, if you're building a road next to a or a part of a hill or or whatever the uh, the topography of the land would be you know you want to match match that contour uh because otherwise you're going to have to get rid of hills and things and level and that's a whole lot of work so it makes sense to just i, I imagine uh ireland or or any sort of more rural area the 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 roads are so built into the contour of the land Right, right. You know, that reminds me, one of my very favorite typos that I read in a book was referring to, it meant to say that, referring to the gentle topography of, you know, this uh, landscape, but it it was printed typography. So I, I always enjoyed that one. <laughs> I, I like a gentle typography. And I love that you have a favorite uh a favorite mistake, <laughs> favorite misspelling. Uh, yeah, the typography of the land. There, look yeah. at all those letters out there right. in the distance. What are those fonts on those hills? Exactly. Uh, yeah, big fan of those. Yeah, that's. A, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, okay, next word. Weep weep. That's my sound effect for today. Just <laughs> just just what it is. Uh, contour feather. Two words. Noun from eighteen sixty seven. One of the medium-sized feathers that form the general covering of a bird and determine the external contour. I assume that's the external contour of the bird, of the shape of its Ah. wings and everything. Uh, Birds have a lot of feathers. I know that they've got the down feathers, and -hmm. then obviously there's these contour feathers, but I have a feeling there's got to be at least one other set. Um, And yeah, you never really think about the fact that, or I don't really ever think about the fact that it's the feathers that create the shape that we see of the bird. But when you get rid of all the feathers, it, it, you know, it's just a, it's just a bird. It looks like a chicken or something like that. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know much about feathers in general. Yeah. 
I don't either. That's that's about that's about it. I know that they're shaped in a certain way so that they can get some lift when they fly, and and that's it. That's the extent of my knowledge of feathers. <laughs> and they often look pretty cool. Yeah. Weep weep. Next word is contour line. Two words. Noun from 1844. A line, as on a map. Connecting the points on a land surface that have the same elevation. I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize this in my head. Do you are you able to explain more? Can you think of it? Um, I I believe that that people who are are very much into hiking, uh, which mm. I, I would not really be included in that category, <laughs> but I, I believe they have certain navigational skills and perhaps they their maps with these contour lines that. Uh, probably make some sense to them, but I don't well, really know. I, I think that this is actually leading very nicely into our next word, and this is where it really all comes together. Weep, weep. It is contour map, two words, ah. noun from 1862. A map having contour lines. What a oh. concept. Um, and... To help us visualize this for all of you people in audio land, uh, there is a picture of a contour map. So yeah, this is perfect. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five contour lines, and they are they're loops. You know, they go around, but they're very wibbly wobbly in shape uh, because you know the land is wibbly wobbly, and each one of them has a number associated with it. I assume it stands for feet or meters. Or something like that. But of course, it depends on the context of the map. Uh, so they're 10, 20, 30, 40, and 50. And the 50, the the wibbly-wobbly line that's that has 50 is in the center. So that's probably the very top of a hill or a mountain, let's say. And so, yeah, like you said, this is really good for people who are hiking so they can follow the contour line and see, okay, this is all at the same elevation. That is the line that I, maybe I want to hike around. I don't right. want to go to this elevation, but... Yeah, it's a really good good visual visualization there. So you're not much of a hiker? You know, I, I, I live in Utah, so it's, it's kind of a requirement to do a, a bit of hiking. But, you know, I, I'm certainly not uh, what I would call a serious hiker, of which I, I know many out here. So, yeah, oh, sure. I would, you know... If I, if I were out backpacking for five days, which is something I would never do, but <laughs> if neither. I were, um, <laughs> I would probably want to know how to read a contour map so that, you know, I I, I wasn't hiking over a, a, a giant mountain or in a giant canyon. You know, I, I think they would be useful. Uh, oh, yeah. For- you you, you got to do your prep. You got to do your research. You got to know <laughs> what you're getting into. You don't want to just <laughs> jump into some dangerous situation. Yeah, you, you want to know how to read the, what was it, weebly-wobbly lines? <laughs> that That's the scientific term for it, exactly. Yes, okay, yes. Uh, okay, weep-weep. Next word is an abbreviation, C-O-N-T-R. It's an abbreviation for four things, actually six things. One, contract or contraction. And I guess that first word could also be pronounced contract. Ah. Number two, contralto. Three, contrary, and four, control and controller. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an abbreviation. Going to move on to the next one because this, this is the beginning of a whole new section of words. Um, and and it, I, 
I've always sort of wondered, like, what does this word mean? It's a, it can be a prefix often, which we will get to. Uh, so, weep, weep. It is the word contra, first form. It's a preposition from the 15th century. Number one, the synonym is just the word against. And this is used chiefly in the phrase pro and contra. And to be perfectly honest, if I make a pros, pros and cons list... I don't think I realized that con stood for contra. <laughs> I just, I feel really dumb with that. Um, wow, and then number that, two. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, sh- I yeah. should spell out pros and contras, perhaps. Exactly, the, exactly. The I, I, knew that, I knew that con was, you know, against or opposite or negative or, you know, it could be lots of different things. But yeah, I don't think I fully understood that it meant for, it right. meant contra. Uh, and then number two is just in opposition or contrast to. So contrast seems like it just got shortened to contra, which of course then right. got shortened to con. Um, and there's no etymology for that one. Okay, moving on to the second form of contra. Weep, weep. Uh, and this can be pronounced a few ways. Contra, contra, if you want to give that long O sound, contra. Mm-hmm. Uh, This one is a noun from 1981, and it is a member of a guerrilla group opposed to the Sandinista government in Nicaragua in the 1980s. So this is highly specific. Um, It is an American Spanish word. That's why it's contra, a little bit more accurate pronunciation there. And it is short for, let's see if I can read this, contra-revolutionario. That's just a contra-revolutionary, someone who is... Uh, well, you know, they described it. Do you know much about these people? I do not. I mean, I vaguely remember the headlines in the 80s, of course, but um, yeah. I was quite young. <laughs> uh, so was I. So was I. Yeah, it's um, I, I re- there's the Iran-Contra thing right. that but I, I don't really know anything about that. I was never very politically minded, but that's that's definitely stuck in the brain somehow. Yeah, it's all about uh, being against against something. I think right. that's yeah. Right. This this kind of against being a, a primary uh, meaning of of contra. It's, it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Next word. Weep weep. It is the prefix form of contra. It uh, that that's all that says. Number one, similar similar words. It means against or contrary or contrasting, as in the example, contradistinction. And I think that's coming up in a couple episodes. I and like then number that word. Contradistinction. Yeah, that's a great word. What, why, do you, what do you like? why do you like it so much? I just like the way it sounds, mm. contradistinction. You know, it's got, it's got a lot of different sounds. It, it, I just, yeah, I, I like saying that word. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it definitely kind of rolls off the tongue. Some of these yeah. words I've come across do not roll <laughs> off the tongue, but that's a good one. Uh, well, in a couple, of, uh, a couple of episodes, when this airs in the middle of January, you'll have to check out that episode. I don't think I said a whole lot about it because I already recorded it, ah. but it's there. Uh, okay, uh, and then number two for the contra prefix, it just means pitched below normal bass. As in the wonderful example, contrabassoon. Now, yeah. do you have any idea why they started using this prefix for that? 
do you do you know any etymology for that? Because I sure don't. No, and I, and I've been thinking about this. Yeah, because again, you have contra meaning against or you know counter to or contrary. And and how did it start to mean um, p- simply pitched lower? Whether you're talking about a contra bassoon or a contrabass clarinet or a, a contrabass like a a double bass, you know, mm-hmm. the the idea that it has this um, meaning of something being considerably lower. Yeah, I, I don't know how how contra made that kind of slide in meaning to that. It, it's it's really quite interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, I I have a feeling some random person who made a very large instrument just threw that on there for some reason. But I, I don't know. the The etymology here is just really talking about the against or opposite. Uh, the Latin word contra, which means against or opposite, and there's more at the word counter. But yeah, it doesn't get into the the whole pitched below a normal bass, which I just find fascinating. Um, there is a website called Etym Online where you can find a bit mm-hmm. more information on etymology. So I may have to dig into that a little bit to see if there's any any information about it because I think it's interesting. Oh, I, I do as well. I mean, I yeah, I mean, you would think oh, contrabass, contrabassoon, you know. Or, Against the bassoon is the contrabassoon <laughs> against the bassoon? No, no, it's it's just lower. Um, but yeah, how how did that happen? Yeah, uh, word wise. But now I do think it would be kind of fun if it did mean against the contrabassoons <laughs> right? and the bassoons fighting the bass sax and the yeah. contrabass sax. Yeah, I mean, I, it it happens. So you know, it's <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're out in the street fighting. Um, so we're going to obviously talk a little bit more about those specific. Uh, instruments and things shortly, but first we have to talk about the wonderful world, no, word, weep, weep, contraband. Uh, This is a noun from 1529. One, illegal or prohibited traffic in goods, and the synonym is smuggling. Number two, goods or merchandise whose importation, exportation, or possession is forbidden. And then also just the smuggled goods are also called contraband. And number three, a slave who during the American Civil War escaped to or was brought within the Union lines. And I never thought about that. But yeah, that that makes sense that they at the time would have been considered uh, illegal goods, which is ridiculous to us nowadays. But yeah, they they would have been contraband. Uh, And then, of course, contraband is also an adjective. And I will quickly look at the etymology. Hmm, there's there's some stuff going on here. From the Middle Latin uh, contrabanum, which is from contra plus banus, or banum, which means decree. So that's the contra prefix, which means against or opposite, plus decree. Uh, is of Germanic origin, akin to the Old High German banan, which means to command. And there's more at the word ban. And, you know, for my little brain, it didn't really help me understand it, but it, it's a, it just is what it is. It's interesting. And, you know, if you were to ask a bassoonist, which today you are, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we might see contraband and, and hear the collective noun for a group of contra bassoon players, in fact. Sounds that beautiful. That would make up a contra band, right? So like a gaggle of geese, a contraband of contra bassoonists, and... Uh, and I think it has a certain, you know, the, these other more conventional meanings, uh, you know, 
give a certain uh, nuance to that definition as well, and that perhaps the contraband of contrabassoonists should in fact be banned. So. <laughs> Nice. You really tied it up nicely there. Well done. Um, I, I like I like looking at words like that in a different way to, you know, well, what what else could this word create, connote? You know, what 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 other meanings could there be? Um, you know, I, I would like to suggest that in addition to contrabassoons, this contraband also consists of the double bass, contrabass saxes, contrabass clarinets, all of those. It Tubas, could definitely maybe. Very inclusive. Yes, I, I, I agree. Absolutely. And then after the first rehearsal, it's banned. Absolutely. Yes. No question. Uh, I love it. Uh, okay. Well, relatedly, uh, weep, weep. We have contrabandist. Of course, all the players would be the contrabandists. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this one is a noun from circa 1818, and the synonym is just smuggler. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go with the more fun section. Weep, weep. It is the first form of the word contrabass, noun from 1813. And yes, as we've said, the synonym is just double bass. Uh, And then contrabassist is a noun. So you you play in symphonies, I assume. Uh, Yes, yes, I play with the Utah Symphony. That's my my job. That's your job. Excellent, excellent. Um, Do you often well so you you mostly just play bassoon right not contra bassoon yes yes so uh, i'm the my, my title is principal bassoon so uh, and then we have a, a contra bassoonist in our orchestra okay my my friend leon and uh yeah we just we just played a show last night together very cool and do you because you are still on the lower side of the, the pitches do you often play the same thing or similar things to the double bass or is it different it it really just depends. Um, certainly, in like uh, early classical repertoire, often um, uh, the bassoon lines will be very similar to the double bass lines. That's that can be frequent, but um, certainly anything kind of beyond that era, it, they function quite independently most of the time. Yeah, the, the composers started realizing bassoons have their own unique voice, and we should make something specifically for that instrument yes it has it has a huge range the the bassoon does um well over three octaves so it can can really uh fulfill multiple roles um in an auditory way in the orchestra and i know that maybe not officially but sort of the quote-unquote like next level up from a a pitch wise from a bassoon would be an oboe because they're both double reed instruments and they have that very similar tone correct what's the what's the pitch uh similarity or what am I trying to say? The highest pitch from a bassoon, how does that compare to the lowest pitch in an oboe? Oh, well, uh, the, the highest pitch on the bassoon can goes quite a bit uh, into the range of the oboe. So, oh, they uh, there's, actually there's overlap. A, yes, there's quite a bit of overlap. And actually, range-wise, in between, you know, uh, a slightly deeper instrument than the oboe is the English horn. That's right. Um, still in the family. Um, so it's it's sort of... Uh, if you're you're a bassoonist and you're 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 thinking about the oboe, the the English horn is kind of a gateway instrument into <laughs> into the land of oboes. Um, so so yeah, if you're an oboe player, is the English horn a gateway into the bassoon, or does it go both ways? You well, if you asked an oboe player, perhaps yes. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and you we always forget about the English horn. Us, 
you know, the people who are not in the musical world as much as you are, it's some of us may know about it, that it exists. But, you know, we always hear we hear about the other instruments a lot more than than that one. Right. The, the English one, it gets it gets a lot of beautiful solos. Um, mm. they're, they're very lucky uh, in the repertoire. And uh, one thing that's quite interesting is that the the tiniest reeds go, belong to the oboe. The English horn reeds are slightly larger. Bassoon reeds are slightly larger. And then, you know, contrabassoon reeds, I mean, they're basically two by fours. They're huge. <laughs> they last forever. Um, so, yeah. That's very cool. I played an oboe once in high school because I, I was a saxophone player and ah. I was sitting next to the oboe player in a musical that we were doing. So I got to try it one time and uh, I, I've always wanted to to try bassoon and it never has happened, but I don't know if it ever will, but someday, someday, someday. I'm going I'm to play someday. a bassoon and then of you course should. a contrabassoon. <laughs> It will happen. Okay, well, we had a little tangent there. We're going to get back on track. Weep, weep. We have the second form of contrabass. So the first one was just double bass. This one is an adjective, and it means pitched lower than a bass instrument of the same type, as in a contrabass clarinet. And uh, there's also contra, contra alto, contralto clarinets, and Octo, there, I think there's octa contra bass clarinets. For some reason, they went real crazy with the clarinets. Yeah. Uh, but yes. The, okay. Now we're here. We're we're we finally got to the one. Well, I should before we get there, I have to mention because there's no more contra bass words after this next one. I I was a saxophone player, and pretty early on in in junior high, I went to the baritone sax. You know, I went from alto to baritone as a full octave lower. And I played that for a bunch of years in junior high and high school. But when I was going to rent one of my first saxophones, probably in junior high, uh, I was at the saxophone shop. That's actually what it was called. But they played, they helped out with all instruments. And they had a picture of a guy up there with all the saxophones that they could gather. And one of them in the center was a contrabass saxophone. And as soon as I saw that, my little, I don't know, eight-year-old heart just was exploded what is that thing and so for years and years and years i had this infatuation with the contrabass sax i finally got to play one for a little bit in high school um you know i still i still have a love for those low big instruments for some reason probably because of that and uh i just i just find them all fascinating and it's they're just wonderful that's wonderful yeah a deep and abiding love for the contrabass saxophone i mean that's a deep love for the deep. Yes. Well, here is our, our very special word. Weep, weep. It is the word contrabassoon. And I'm trying to contrabassoon. Yep, that's pretty much the way you say it. Noun from 1877. And it is a double reed woodwind instrument having a range an octave lower than that of the bassoon, called also double bassoon. Does anybody call it a double bassoon? No, no. Everyone calls it a contrabassoon or often abbreviated as just the contra. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is, it's, it's literally twice the length of the bassoon, though. So it's, uh, the bassoon is about eight feet long, curled up to some mm-hmm. degree. It goes, goes uh, kind of like a, it has a U shape in the tube. Uh, and the contrabassoon is 16 feet of tubing, oh, all man. curled up and wrapped around into this kind of wonderful visual curled um instrument 
It is, it is. And it has such a good color. I mean, the bassoon in general, just the, the color of the wood. And I'm sure there's different different shades, different types. Uh, but yeah, it does. It definitely has a good look. And of course, I will post a picture on social media of both the bassoon and the contra bassoon. Um, so you said that the bassoon, does it have one bend or does it have more than one major bend? It just has one major bend in the bassoon. Okay. And yes. the contra bassoon, does it have like two or three? It has quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get all yeah, 16 Yeah, it's sort feet. of a, it makes, it makes loop-de-loops, I think is the official word for, yes. for the construction of a contra bassoon. Yeah, definitely. You got, you got to fit it all into a place that somebody can actually hold the thing. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think I've seen pictures of contrabassoons with, uh, you know, perhaps only one bend, and you know, oh. they're you you have to basically play it from a ladder or something. They're they're it's quite a sight, but I didn't uh, you even know, know could, that existed. <laughs> well, you know, they're not really used. They're not very practical. But right. um, but you know, the typical contrabassoon, it it it's it's playable. Uh, you know, sitting sitting in a chair, I guess you could stand with it. It'd be a lot of weight, but um, yeah. Yeah, and it's fairly compact. Yeah, fairly compact, yeah. And just uh beautiful. It, it just plays these beautiful low low notes. The the lowest note of the contrabassoon um is uh uh the, the the lowest note on a piano is just one half step lower than the lowest note on a contrabassoon. So the piano can, uh, has a low A as its lowest note. Mm-hmm. Contrabassoon's lowest note is half step up a low B flat. Okay, and then uh, obviously it doesn't have the range that the piano does, but you know that's a good, a good, um, a, a good way for people to think about the 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 how it sounds. Is if you've got a piano in your house or even online, you, I'm sure you can find a, an electronic piano. Hit that low note, and that's that's where the contrabassoon comes in, but with such a different tone than a piano. So it's so much. It, it's really interesting. Yes, it's a rumbly, velvety, dark, mm. rich tone of the contrabassoon. It's 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 a great sound. Um, it's uh, people refer to it as as the beast because there's a, a famous uh, work by Ravel, uh, the Mother Goose Suite, and in one movement it's uh, Beauty and the Beast, and the contrabassoon represents the beast. Of so, course, of course yeah. it does. Well, I, I will probably have to put in some sort of audio clip somewhere around here to to so people can hear what the contrabassoon sounds like. And of course, I think I'll do the same with the bassoon because I don't think I did that when I was in the bees. So I have to make up for it here. Maybe <laughs> maybe there's a duet, a bassoon contrabassoon duet that I can find. Uh, I'll see what I can can dig up for you. That would be very cool. Okay, we're going to move on to our last two words. Weep, weep. Uh, the first of them is, we're, we're going off in another direction here. It is the word contraception. Noun from 1886, and it means deliberate prevention of conception or impregnation. And contraceptive is a noun. And of course, you know, you, you're adding contra to the beginning of essentially inception or contraception uh sorry conception and it becomes against you know you're trying to stop this thing um any any thoughts on contraception (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting. Again, I, I think most of the, the words beginning with contra, the, again, the contra functions in that kind of against role other than with these uh, musical instruments. So it's yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. And you put them in alphabetical order and you're going to bounce back and forth between, yeah. between all of that. Yeah. All right. Our last word, weep, weep. It is the word contract, C-O-N-T-R-A-C-T. Uh, noun from the 14th century got a few definitions 1a a binding agreement between two or more persons or parties especially one legally enforceable 1b a business arrangement for the supply of goods or services at a fixed price as in make parts on contract 1c the act of marriage or an agreement to marry. Two, a document describing the terms of a contract. So the contract describes the contract. Three, the final bid to win a specified number of tricks in bridge. Are you a bridge player? I am not. I know nothing about bridge other than, you know, occasionally reading about it in an Agatha Christie novel. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same for me. Every once in a while, I'll come across things that are bridge related. I'm like, man, I really got to sit down with my family members who love to play bridge and actually oh, learn wow. this game. It seems fascinating. Uh, and then number four, an order or arrangement for a hired assassin to kill someone, as in his enemies put out a contract on him. Uh, and a quick quick look at the etymology says this is from the Latin verb contrahere, which means to draw together, make a contract, or reduce in size. Uh, and that is from trahere, which means to draw. So uh, d- drawing up a contract is where the, the literal act of creating a contract is where the word comes from. Hmm. Do you need a contract to play the contra bassoon i don't know well if you if you want to get paid yeah yeah (laughs) definitely uh if it's just if you're just casually buying a contra bassoon to play for fun then you don't need a contract but (laughs) i uh, i wouldn't recommend that no but (laughs) they're quite pricey (laughs) yeah i'm sure it's thousands and thousands of dollars (laughs) yes um okay well i will quickly reread the words and then you get to pick the word of the episode i have a feeling i know what you might pick but you could throw me off it's possible uh so the words today were contour contour feather contour line contour map contra 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 contraband contrabandist contrabass contrabassoon contraception and contract what do you like well, I am going to have to go with contrabassoon. I think there you you predicted that accurately. I'm so smart. <laughs> um, so thank you for for being on this show. And um, uh, sometimes I, I will sing a little song about uh, the, the word of the episode just off the top of my head. But instead, I think I will put in an audio clip of the contrabass be, uh, contrabassoon being played because I think people need to hear it. People don't get enough... They don't get to hear enough of bassoon and contrabassoon, so we need to bring it to the forefront, These all these unique and fascinating instruments. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Um, anything that you want to plug, let the people know, uh, just to remind them of, of where they can find you out in the world. Uh, well, I can be found, uh, uh, performing with the Utah symphony about, uh, three to five concerts a week. <laughs> um, and, uh, we, we have a, a number of CDs out you can check out the Utah symphony website. Um, and, you know, I do a few other things here and there, uh, but uh, the, most of my performances are with the Utah Symphony. And um, palindrome-wise, check out the Palindromists um, uh, documentary. It's a fantastic film. Um, there are also a, a couple of really great uh, palindrome books that have come out recently. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, uh, one of my fellow palindromists, uh, John Agee, is a cartoonist and palindromist. He his graphic novel Otto just came out. Mm. It's a palindrama, so to speak, <laughs> and it's it's written entirely in palindromes, and uh, uh, most of them are, are of his own devising. And he, he also uh, borrows some palindromes from 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 some of us um, who who are in the film uh, with him. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. Really really terrific uh, graphic novel. Uh, we also, um, uh, my friend, Anthony Etheran, uh, he and Clara Denary run, uh, Pinteract Press. They did a, a anthology of palindromes, uh, the other year called Reflections. And it has, um, some, just, just some of the, you know, it's the, the forefront of, of palindromy, I think, you know, qu- hmm. really some fascinating experiments in, uh, and what is possible with palindromes. Um, there's also a, um, a, a new book coming out, the the book of Pinteract that that will have some some very interesting um, constrained forms of writing, in, including palindromes in it as well. Uh, that I believe that'll be published in 2022. That's very cool. Um, and so, obviously, if anybody's interested in palindromes, even in a, even a little bit, uh, you have a lot of places that you can go to to learn about the people who are making them and and learn about so many different aspects. I mean, the, the possibilities of creating a palindrome are just endless, uh, which is so fascinating. And just quickly, what were your... I mean, you, you went to this, the world competition, um, which I, I'm sure was a, a fascinating experience, but what was it like with all of the 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 filming, the cameras, the interviews? What What was that experience <laughs> like for you? It was completely surreal, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, but but it was definitely very odd. The sensation of of being filmed and mm-hmm. you know having being mic'd constantly, and uh, you know as uh, while walking down the street, and then it, you know when when I came back home afterwards, you know I had that same sensation of you know being aware of what I was saying and and doing mm-hmm. as if I were being filmed, but I. I, I don't believe I, I was at that point. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was definitely, I hope not, uh, definitely a, a surreal experience, but, um, you know, quite, quite fun. I mean, you know, this notion of competitive, uh, palindroming, it's, it's, it's kind of fun because, you know, we're, we're all, it's, it's a very small community and we're all pretty good friends. So it's very, um, very friendly. Also, palindromes typically take a bit of time to compose. So the mm-hmm. idea of doing it under a, a time constraint, it's all kind of a, a strange and unsettling experience, but also uh, incredibly fun. Did you have to train in any way or did you train in any way to to, to try to uh, to create palindromes in a timed situation? 
Well, you know, I, I kept trying to think of uh, possible additional constraints that Will Shorts might throw at us. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, you know, we were all in the, kind of an email group together leading up to the um, to the competition. And so I sent out, um, you know, uh, I don't know, words with Q. Uh, you know, I had a list, you know, yeah. and then I, I took this picture of myself where it looked as if I were doing a one-armed push-up. Anyway, <laughs> obviously trick photography. However, you know, we'd never met, none of these people had ever met me. So they thought I could actually do one armed pushups, you know, so it was, that was kind of amusing. Um, But, you know, I did kind of the Rocky, you know, kind of the, the headband and the the gray sweatshirt kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, you could anticipate possible constraints to some, to some degree, but um, it it was a, a, definitely a bit of a surprise, which, you know, made it fun, made it challenging. And, um, it was, uh, we all had a good time. Good. I, I hope things never got too heated or, or competitive. It seemed like it was a no. lot of fun to do this. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really fun uh, kind of quirky group of people. And um, as you, you might imagine, and uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, it, it got particularly competitive other than in kind of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, somewhat amusing joking kind of manner right right yeah excellent well uh i i can't wait to to re-watch the film um i i would definitely like to keep in contact with you guys because you're you're a lot of fun maybe i'll get some of the other competitors on this show i know john ag has been has been mentioned a few times um and obviously there's others as well um and uh who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll get to attend the the next competition just to see what it's like. I'm not going to be a competitor because I'm not that smart, but uh, it, it would be a lot of fun to to be there in person. Oh, you you should totally be there in person and and start writing palindromes. It's it's a lot of fun. It's great. As I think I think I told either Mark or Vincent I started to write one. I think I started with my name or something like that, mm-hmm. and I started writing, and it got pretty pretty ridiculous pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I don't even know where I wrote it. I don't know. I don't know if I have the piece of paper anymore. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really. I think it's a good exercise for your brain for sure. Even just to try it a little bit. Oh, it, it's great, and it takes you into just you know these complete flights of fancy, these absurd mm. directions, you know, because you have to follow what the letters will allow you to do, and and it, it takes you to places you 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 would never come up with these groups of words otherwise unless mm-hmm. you were following this particular bizarre constraint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you can get creative with periods and commas and, and, and grammar, things like that. Exactly. Yes. That's, yeah. that's a lot of it. Trying desperately to, to put some sense into this, this creation you've made through punctuation and spacing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so because this is a daily podcast, I have been reading the holidays that happen on the day that this episode airs. So if you uh, are game, I will just quickly read through the, the holidays that are supposed to be on this uh, January 16th, 2022. Do you have a connection to that day by any way, by any chance? Ah, January 16th. No, I don't. I don't believe that I do. Most people don't. It's just a fun coincidence if it happens. Uh, let's see. So in the U.S., we have National Religious Freedom Day. I think that's pretty great. We have Teacher's Day in Myanmar and Thailand. And let's see. This I have to go to a different, a few different pages because they, they all give me different information. 
Um, oh, it's also World Religion Day in the UK. That's pretty awesome. Um, appreciate a Dragon Day. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Appreciate and, a uh, dragon. It shows a picture of an iguana because they're kind of like dragons. Uh, Book Publishers Day, International Hot and Spicy Food Day. I think the dragons ate some spicy food. (laughs) Uh, I wonder if they've made any spicy Fig Newtons because it's National Fig Newton Day. That would be odd. Uh, (laughs) National National Good Teen Day. National Nothing Day. Just don't do anything. National Without a scalpel day and if i'm going in for surgery i do not want the doctor to be celebrating this because i want them to have their scalpel right prohibition remembrance day psychiatric technicians day uh world snow day you you probably are getting snow up in utah aren't you yeah we we got a foot last week oh my god <laughs> i'm i'm in the a chicago lot of shoveling Oh, my God. I'm in the Chicago area, and uh, I think maybe one day so far we've had a little bit of snow, but it's the weather's actually been pretty decent so far. But I'm sure, you know, later this month, January, well, when this is airing, we'll probably have snow. Uh, And those are all the holidays. Congratulations. We did it. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, if anybody wants to find uh, all of the information, I'll try and put as many links and things as I can in the show notes. And uh, go check out the documentary. Go check out the Utah Symphony. And uh, this has been Spencer Dispensing Information. Goodbye.